Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Grace Community Church Wednesday night service. It's good to see you all again, and uh, if you're tuning in online, we're glad you're watching. Let me go ahead and open us up in a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll get into tonight's message. Father, thank you that we're able to, to meet again tonight. Thank you for getting us all through the, the snowstorms and stuff. We just thank you, Lord, that you're always faithful and you're always watching out for us and always protecting us. Lord, I just pray for everybody that's here and everybody that's online that you would help us to just lay aside our worries of the day or, or whatever's going on in our lives and help us just clear our minds, Lord, and, and be able to hear what you're saying to us tonight. And Lord, I just pray that you'll help us to not only hear these things, but help us to remember them, Lord, and apply them to our lives so we can bear the fruit you want us to bear. And we'll give you the glory for that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, this was actually the message I was going to preach a couple of weeks ago, but that was the day that Mom got sick. So uh, we're going to pick up where we left off. Like, well, I guess this will be three weeks ago now. But uh, I've been wanting to get this, wanting to preach this message for probably a couple of months before uh, I actually made it into a message. But uh, I think it's, it's something that we all see on a daily basis, and I think it'll benefit all of us. Uh, I want to start out with talking about, you know, we always talk about, you know, how words get watered down and they lose their meaning. And I know you all know what I'm talking about. Uh, love is probably the biggest one. Or I would say it's the biggest one. You know, we'll say, I love this car, or I love that movie. You know, I love this warm weather we got after the snow. Uh, you know, I really love those new socks you got. And then somebody comes up to you and tells you, you know, I love you. You know, it don't really carry a whole lot of weight uh, when you look at it like that. You know, you're like, all right, yay, I'm, I'm right up there with your socks. And uh, so it loses its meaning because we use it so much. And it takes away from the meaning of the word when it's used over and over like that. And you can't really tell when somebody tells you, you know, I love you. You can't tell if they do or not by what they're saying. Uh, but you do know if somebody loves you by how they treat you. You know, love is an action. Love says, I'm going to hunt you down when you're going through a hard time and not avoid you because you're going through a hard time. Uh, you know, love says... I'm not going to go behind your back and talk about you. You know, if I have a problem with you, I'm going to come to you and discuss it with you personally. And, uh, you know, love says if I notice you're breaking character and you're just not yourself right now and you're doing something that you wouldn't normally do, I'm going to come to you and ask about it and say, are you all right? You know, are you going through something that I can help you with? And uh, like I said, not be going around talking about you. And love says I'm going to be faithful to you even when you're not being faithful to me right now. And uh, that's exactly what God does. In Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, If we believe not, yet he abides faithful. He cannot deny himself. So even when we're having a bad day and we turn our back on being a Christian, we know we're supposed to be and we do our own thing, God's still God. He's still on his throne and he still loves you just as much as he did before that. So... You know, even when we're not faithful, God is faithful. 
And if we're going to call ourselves friends and tell people that we love them, we need to remember what God's doing for us on our bad days, and we need to be able to do that for people that we say we love too, you know, even when times are hard and not just when things are good and not just when I can get, you know, what I want or what I need from you. Uh, and that's just one word. And all this is building up to our, our message tonight. But another word that we do that to, and we overuse it until it loses its meaning, is prayer. You know, what about praying? Uh, I want to read these verses to you. Uh, in Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51, and this is when Jesus was on the cross and he gave up the ghost. It says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. So when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom. And that signified that we no longer needed the priest to go to God for us. And you know, because of what Jesus did, we could communicate directly to God through prayer because Jesus made a way for us. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, it says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be, cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. That's talking about Jesus. And because of what he's done, verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So because of what Jesus did for us, we can come boldly, the Bible says, to the throne of God. And, uh, you know, we don't have to go through a priest. We can come boldly to the throne of God and pray ourselves and talk directly to God. You know, what an awesome privilege that is, that I can talk directly to the creator of the universe about what I'm going through or about what somebody else is going through. You know, I can ask for the help or the direction or the healing that I need or that they need, or I can go directly to the throne room of God and praise Him for what He's done or what He is doing in my life. But we've taken that divine privilege that Jesus died that we could have, and we've turned it a lot of times into a disguise for gossip. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you hear it all the time, let me tell you about so-and-so and what they did so you can pray for them. And, uh, you know, that's not what prayer was designed to be. Prayer is a communication between me and God. If that person needs prayer, I should pray God, and it should stop there. You know, I shouldn't go around and tell the whole community, well, let me show you what they did so you can pray, pray for them. You know, Jesus died so that we could have the access to God. Uh, can you imagine how displeased God is when we use that privilege as a disguise to gossip about or to slander somebody, I mean, I'm sure that that don't make God happy. And uh, to me, that's a really scary thought. If I tell somebody I'm going to pray for them, I either do it right then or I pray with them. You know, I don't want to forget about it. I don't want to tell them I'm going to do that and then not do it. Uh, that really is a scary thought to me. And it makes me wonder, you know, just how many people that are passing on you know, so-called prayer request, or even praying at all. Uh, or another way it's become 
just an acceptable way of saying, I really don't want to talk about your problem. And I'll give you an example of that. You know, if somebody's telling you what they're going through and then you just, you know, I don't have time to listen to that. And you like you interrupt the conversation and say, well, I'll be praying for you. And then so you can just break up the conversation and move on, you know, and I hope for your sake, if you tell somebody you're going to be praying for them, that you actually do it because I think it's a serious thing with God. You know, Jesus Christ died to get that veil ripped so we could have access to God. So when we tell somebody that we're going to pray for them, I think we need to, to take that seriously and actually do that. Uh, in the book of James, chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, it says, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, and be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? And it goes on, uh, if we read the next two verses in 17 18, it says, Even so faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So if we tell somebody we're going to be praying for them, that's an action, just like love is. We need to actually do that and not just tell them that we're going to do it. And if all you're doing is going around repeating yourself, you know, I'll be praying for you, I'll be praying for you, but you never do it, and you never put any action to it, then the Bible says your faith is as good as dead. You know, it's not doing them a bit of good if you're just telling them you're going to pray for them. It does good when you do pray for them and you bring them before God's throne. And, uh, and most of the people, like I said, I won't say most, but I'd say a, a good, good majority or a good number of them are uh, just saying that and they're not actually following through in prayer. And to me, that's just like the customer service department that's going to tell you whatever you want to hear so they can get you off the phone. And uh, we shouldn't be that way as Christians. Because that service department never had any intention of doing anything in the first place. And when we keep devaluing words like that, you know, and watering down the word love and, uh, you know, use it for a synonym for sex or a way to describe our ice cream, to me that devalues God himself. Because First John chapter 4 and verse 8 says God is love. So we shouldn't use that word lightly. God himself is love. And if we don't take that word seriously, then we're not taking God seriously. You know, that word should have some meaning to it. It should have some value to it. And it should carry some weight. You know, like I said earlier, if we just use it for every little thing, then it don't carry any weight at all. You know, we should mean it when we say it and, and prayer. And we need to back it up with action. Because when we devalue prayer... We are belittling what Jesus did on the cross for us and the Holy Spirit that makes our prayers possible. Uh, I love these verses in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. You know, I'm sure all of y'all had a, a time or a, a period you went through where you just didn't even have the words to say when life's just really hard. And th those are the moments when we come to the throne of God through prayer 
that the Holy Spirit helps us pray. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In verse 27, it says, And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So in those times when we don't even know what to pray and can't even get the words out, the Holy Spirit's our translator. He takes our heart to God and says, this is what they're going through. This is how they feel. This is what they're trying to tell you. <clears throat> so when we're hurting, hurting so bad that we don't even have the words to pray, the Holy Spirit knows that, and he knows our hearts, and he relays that message to God uh, without us even having to say a word. So when we're telling people we'll pray for them, we should remember that, you know. When I was in that shape and I needed prayer, even when I couldn't speak, the Holy Spirit would take my prayers for me. And we should be willing to do that for others when they're hurting so bad that they can't pray for themselves. That's why they ask us to pray for them. So we should take it as seriously as the Holy Spirit does. You know, we should really want to go to God on their behalf and lay them at his feet and not just use it as a phrase to make ourselves look godly and uh, get rid of them at the same time. Uh, Pastor Josh, a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, he did a, a sermon on what we believe. And uh, if you really believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to see other people through your belief in Christ. You're going to see people the way that God sees people. You'll see their hurt. You'll see their need. You'll see that, you know, they need God's help just as bad as we do. And when you see them, they're going to matter. It's not something you'll be able to just brush off. You know, they're not just extras in a movie. They're real people. And I think a lot of times we lose sight of that. We just see other people. We see so many of them that they're just like extras in a movie and they're not real. They're not real. Only the ones that I'm close to are real people. Only the ones I'm close to <coughs> really matter. But uh, like I said, they're not extras in a movie. They are sons and daughters of God too, every single one of us. And they're created in the image of God and God loves them just as much as he loves you and just as much as he loves me. And uh, when we see people like that and realize how much value they have to God, then uh, it's not easy to dismiss them and just brush them off. You know, if you really believe that, you'll care about those people, whether you know them or not, because God created them in his own image, and they belong to him. And uh, so love and prayer, that's just two words that I think the church as a whole has just, you know, kind of watered down. They've lost their power. But that gets us to tonight's message. Uh, like I said, this has been on my heart heavy for a, a few weeks. But just like love has been watered down and perverted until it don't mean almost nothing, and prayer has been done the same way, uh, I believe the word Christian is right up there with them. You know, it has lost its meaning. If we're truly looking for the meaning of calling ourselves Christians, I think it's lost its meaning. You know, the government does polls, and uh, they want to ask this many people, uh, would you consider this a Christian nation? And uh, they say yes, you know. They say the United States is a Christian nation. Uh, 
And uh, how many of you would say that this nation looks like it's it's being ran by Christians? You know, when I look at it, it don't look to me like it's being run by Christians. So I wouldn't say that's true. But the polls say it is. You know, I'm very thankful for our freedom, thankful for, for the the fact that we can gather like this and worship God and fellowship and learn, you know, more about him together. But I wouldn't say uh, that we live in a society that is following Jesus. And that's what the definition of a Christian is. Uh, if you look it up in the Strong Concordance, it's a, it's a short definition, a follower of Christ. And uh, when I look around at the things going on in our nation, uh, it, don't, it don't look to me like we're following Christ. But that's what the definition is. Uh, you know, when you do the math and you take the number of people who call themselves Christians and then you compare it with the people that really are following Christ, then it don't add up. Being a follower of Christ is a whole lot more than just calling yourself a Christian. And uh, I think a lot of people don't really understand what that means. And I've told you before that Christ is not Jesus' last name. That's his title. Jesus is the Christ, and the definition for that word means God's anointed one. And there's only one, and that's Jesus. He's his chosen one. He is the Christ. Uh, you know, there's only one. There's never one before him, and there will never be another one. He is the one and only Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 5, it says, There is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus, he's the only one there is. In First uh, Timothy six fifteen, it says, "Which in his times he shall show." Talking about Jesus, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That word potentate there means a sovereign ruler. He has rule over everything. There's nothing he does not have rule over. There's nothing on earth or in heaven or in space, anywhere you can think of. It's under his rule. It's under his dominion. And uh, Jesus himself said that in Matthew 28, verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And when he said that, he meant that. All power on heaven and in earth. That includes heaven. So God gave him authority even in heaven. And if we're calling ourselves Christians, it shouldn't be the word society uses uh, just to describe that I go to church on Christmas and Easter maybe, and uh, it should mean I believe that he is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I believe that he is the potentate, the sovereign ruler over everything. But here's the main point, even over my life. You know, we like to think of God's, he's the ruler of heaven. He sits on his throne. He's the God of all the churches. He's the God of this. But we don't want to include our own life. We don't want to include inside the four walls <coughs> of our homes. You know, we hear it all the time, and you hear it from me almost every week. You know, when people are coming to Christ, they're getting saved. You hear somebody ask them to say, Jesus is the Lord of my life. And you should do that. You know, that's what the Bible says. 
uh, with your mouth confession is made unto salvation, but have you really made him Lord of your life, a ruler in your life? He makes the rules, you know, not me. To be a follower of Christ means to do what he says, to be obedient to the Lord. Uh, one of the verses that really got my attention, and I shared this with you uh, last year, I think it was, but when I was young in my faith, the verse that really got my attention, uh, we were still going to church in the school, the Piedmont school over here, and I remember Josh asked me one day, he said, uh, what's your favorite verse? I can't remember why he asked me that. It was before service. I think we were going to talk about a favorite verse before service or something, and I said, I had to think about it, and then I thought about it, and I said, Luke 6, 46, and uh Luke 6, 46 says, Why you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? And that really got my attention. And, uh, you know, I asked myself, why do I call him Lord and not do the things he says to do? And, uh, you know, when he asked me that and I gave him that verse, it was like Jesus was talking directly to me, and he was. You know, and I remember going home that day and I asked my Ask myself that question again. You know, why do I keep calling him Lord and not do the things he said? And then I, I answered my own question. You know, I really don't want to surrender my will to his. I just want people to think I did. I want to look good on the outside. I want everybody to think Wade's living a godly life. But on the inside, I hadn't surrendered my heart to him. At home, I hadn't surrendered all the things I needed to to him. I just wanted to look good on the outside. I wanted people to, to think that I was doing the right thing. While on the inside, I want to keep all this stuff that I think I need to myself. You know, I want to look good in public, but I still want to be my old self when I get home. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor DJ touched on uh, something close to this at Celebrate Restoration. He was talking about integrity, and uh, Christian integrity is doing the right thing even when you're alone, uh, even when you're at home by yourself, and not just so others can see it. Doing the right thing because you really believe Jesus is right here with you, because he is. Uh, Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 3, it says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And, uh, you know, I think our belief has to get to the point where we believe the same at home as we do at church. Every place. That includes my house. That includes my bathroom. That includes me and my car. I'm going to and from work. That includes being at work. And it should include no matter who I'm with. Uh, integrity means I want to be obedient, not just look obedient to others uh, being a follower of Christ it, it's not easy it really ain't and a, a lot of people tell you give your life to Jesus it's so wonderful it is wonderful but it's not easy you know it goes against every grain this society has to throw at you in almost area you can think of following Christ is not popular it goes against you know popular culture you're not going to fit into society if you're really following Christ. And if you truly have surrendered your life to Christ, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 should be true in your life. 
It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. You know, that's to be true in our lives. You should look completely different than you did before Christ. The way you act, the way you talk, and where you go, and then what you do, you know, and the way you treat other people, and especially in your home. Uh, if Jesus is only Lord at church, but there's no change at home, then you're right where I was uh, that I just described to you a few minutes ago. You know, I want everybody to think I gave him my life, but I'm not willing to do that. And I see people all the time that profess Jesus as Lord, and you get around them with the right crowd, and they can go all day long and never say a cuss word. But you get the same people around a different crowd that is going with today's culture, that is going with society, and they talk completely different. And, uh, you know, that's not being totally surrendered. We can't be spiritual chameleons and be surrendered to Christ. If we're surrendered to Christ, we should be the same thing all day long, every day. And uh, we can't be spiritual chameleons and just be godly when we're around godly people so we'll look godly. If there's no real change on the inside, that should do the same thing to you that it did to me. It should scare you to death. Uh, the more I read the Bible, the more I learned, and the more I believed, uh, the more I realized that Jesus really is coming back. And one of these days, I'm going to stand before him. And it, it really scared me that I, when he gets here, I'm going to be standing in front of him, and I'm faking it. And... Uh, you know, that thought really scared me to death. So I'll tell you what I did. I really got on my knees and I prayed to God and I asked him to forgive me for faking it, to forgive me uh, for just going through the motions. And I asked him to become my Lord. And from that day forward, I try to do my best to be obedient to him in everything I do, especially when I'm alone. It's easier for me to be obedient when I'm around other people. But when I'm by myself, I'm extra careful to be obedient to him because I know, like Proverbs 15, 3 said a minute ago, he is in every place, and everything I do, he sees. And I don't want to do things that displease him because I believe in my heart wholeheartedly that whether I die and meet God or he does come back, I am going to stand before Christ one day. And uh, I don't want to be scared when he gets here, I want to be glad to see him. And I want you to be glad to see him too. That's why I'm preaching this message. Uh, Acts 4 and verse 13. This is talking about Peter and uh, the rest of the apostles. <coughs> After the day of Pentecost. They're talking about them when Peter's up there preaching. And it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. So you got these guys, they were fishermen and tax collectors and all that stuff. None of them were religious people. And then Jesus said, Follow me. And they did. Then after they received the Holy Spirit, they're up there preaching and uh, talking about scriptures and stuff that those people know they didn't learn because they never went to the temple or any of that stuff. 
but they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And if you've truly surrendered your life, you've got the same Holy Spirit inside you that Peter and John and the rest of them received. Uh, so if you've really surrendered your life to Christ, you don't have to tell anybody uh, that you did that. They'll be able to tell. They'll be able to see it in you and how you talk and how you act and everything you do, even at your job. I love this verse in Colossians 3, in verse 23. It says, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as unto the Lord and not unto men. You know, just like Proverbs 15, 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Everything we do, we should be doing it like we're doing it to the Lord, like he's standing right here beside me, because he is. The Bible says he is. And if you really believe that, you will do whatever you're doing like you're doing it for Jesus himself. And if you, if he is your Lord, you are doing it for Jesus himself. Everything we do, we should be doing it for the Lord. You know, you go just about any place of business anymore and people just, they just show up for work, they ride the clock because that's what everybody else is doing. They're not interested in earning their paycheck. They'll just show up, ride the clock, punch their time card, and get their check. They want to check. They don't want to work. And that's why you can't find any help anywhere when you go to the store. Uh, and you ask somebody about that, and they'll say, well, if I actually work, I'm going to have to do their job too because they're not doing anything. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to be a pushover. And we can't have that mindset. That's the same mindset that the world has that's how the workplace got that way is everybody following what everybody else is doing you know that's not <clears throat> to me that's not being a pushover to do your job that's being a light in the darkness and doing whatever we do as unto the lord you know that's being an example for others to follow maybe people work like that like i said because they've never seen a good work ethic before you know, that's not weakness. That is strength to be the one that says, I'm going to do what I'm being paid to do, whether anybody else is going to do it or not. God gave me this job, and even if I don't like the job, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability because I'm doing it as unto the Lord, uh, because I'm doing it for Jesus. Uh, Jesus actually says in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 41, he says, and whosoever shall compel you to go a mile, go with him two miles. Go overboard. You know, whatever they ask you to do, do that and a little bit more. We should stand above the crowd, not mix in and blend in. You know, God calls us a peculiar nation. You know, a peculiar people. We should stand out from society. We shouldn't just blend in and uh, they can't even tell we're different. We should stand out in a crowd. But we can't be like the world and complain about the world. If you see things need to change, be the change. Uh, it's been a few weeks ago, but I heard Brother Lou back there say, you know, if you're in a room full of negative people, be the positive person in the room. Change the atmosphere. Don't join in the negativity. That just creates more negativity. Be the one that says, I'm going to change the atmosphere and start being positive, and it catches on. You put one positive person in a room full of negative people, 
and it can change the whole entire room. We can do that at our workplaces, too. We can do that at home, too. You know, if your home's full of negativity, are you adding to it? Are you making it worse? Or are you trying to bring some light into it? Because, you know, light dispels darkness. And that's all negativity is, is darkness. And Jesus said, we are the light of the world. So if it's, everything is dark, then your light's probably not shining either. Because one light will light up a room. But uh, I think the hardest thing for us as Christians, I know it is for me, and uh, I think it, it's probably going to be for a lot of you too, is what Jesus tells us to do in Matthew 5, verses 43 and 44. He says, You have heard that it has been said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies and bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Anybody say, I would love to do that? That's not easy to do. The last probably eight years of my life, I've had to do a lot of that. And it, I hated doing it to start with. Absolutely hated doing it. And I would tell God that. I don't want to do this. They deserve to be hated. You know, they deserve way worse than what I can do to them. So it, I did not want to do that. But I wanted to be obedient to God. Uh, Actually love the people that we consider our enemies. You know, that seems impossible to us. But that's exactly what Jesus did. If we're followers of Christ, he's our example. You know, I always tell you, Jesus never asked us to do anything that he hadn't done first. Uh, so in Luke 23 and verse 34, it says, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Jesus is hanging on the cross, being crucified, and he's praying for them. Those are the people that beat Jesus. Those are the people that spit on him. They threw feces on him. They pulled out his beard. They stripped his clothes off of him. The Bible says they beat him so bad you couldn't even tell he was a man. And in the process of them literally killing him, he's asking God to forgive them because they're trapped in the same thing the whole world is trapped in. They're deceived by Satan, and they're being led by a sin nature, and they're blinded to their need for God. And we have to be the light that I've been talking about. This world needs <coughs> this world needs God, and we are the church, you and me. We are the church, and the world will never see God if it can't see it in us, you know. We have to look at ourselves in the mirror and complain about the world and then look at ourselves at the mirror again and say, that's on me. You know, I'm supposed to be the light in the middle of all this darkness. I'm the one that's supposed to be doing something. Not the big mega churches over here, the big mega... It's still one person at a time. We singular, me and you and you and you are the church. How we treat people is whether or not they see God. And God is the only thing that can turn somebody from darkness to light. If we want all this evil, all these mean things to stop, 
We have to do it one person at a time, just like we're saved one person at a time. You know, my life is completely different than it was nine years ago. And I know through Christ, somebody else's life can be completely different than it was yesterday. You know, if the church don't offer forgiveness, how's the world going to believe in forgiveness? It's not. If you can't get it at church, you can't get it from God, then where else are you going to get it? You can't get it anywhere else. We have to be the ones to give it. We are the light of the world. And I think uh, Matthew 5.44 that we just read, I think when Jesus was preaching that in the Sermon on the Mount, I think he meant this is what you need to do in real time while it's happening, just like it happened to him on the cross. We just read it was in real time for him. He was in the middle of being crucified, and he was praying for those people. And I think uh, we have to do this in real time too. You know, pray for others while they're cussing you out. You know, that's what Jesus did. Don't sit there and uh, while they're cussing you out and think of a good comeback, but keep praying for them while they're doing you that way. That's exactly what Jesus did, and I think that's exactly what he wants us to do. Instead of sitting there thinking of a good comeback while they're doing that, be praying for them while they're doing that. God, get to their heart. Change their heart. You know, keep praying for people when they keep promising you they're going to change, but they never do. Do good to people while they hate you, not after they've made things right and apologized to you. Treat them as if they've never done anything to you. Uh, pray for people while they are despitefully using you and persecuting you. And I know what they're doing is wrong, but they're only doing it because they need Jesus. And if we don't forgive them, we don't show them kindness, we don't ever present God to them in any way, shape, form, or fashion, then what makes us think they're going to change? If we snap their head off because they're snapping ours off, that's not going to help anything. That's not going to fix anything. If they can get to Jesus, just like we get to Jesus, then they'll stop hating you, they'll stop persecuting you, and they'll stop despitefully using you. But they'll never get to Jesus if we treat them the same way that they're treating us. And, uh, you know, that is the part of being a Christian that nobody wants to do. That's the hard part. Uh, and it's hard for me. I'm not saying it's easy. I just told you following Christ is not easy. But that is the following, that is the part of following Christ we want to explain away with my rights. I got the right to feel the way I feel. And, uh, you know, I told you, Jesus don't ever ask us to do anything that he hasn't done first. And I share this verse with you every week at the end of the message, Romans 5, 8. It says, but God showed his love towards us and that while we, real time, remember, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right dead in the middle of my sin, God loved me right there. He didn't tell me, get it together, then I'll love you. Apologize to me, then I'll love you. God loved us while we were sinners. And we've got to love others while they're sinners too. And we've got to remember that we were enemies of God at one point ourselves. Uh, if we read a little further, Romans 5.10, that's what it says. It says, For if when we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And if God can reconcile me 
and save me and reconcile you and save you through the death of Jesus, he can save them too. I was an enemy of God at one point myself. That's exactly what they are. What's different between them and me? Nothing. Not a thing. God can save them too. And we've got to see people through the eyes of God that they can be reached, they can <coughs> be saved. We're not judges. We're Christians. And a Christian means we're followers of Christ. And we need to offer Jesus to people no matter what we think about them, no matter how they're treating us. You know, we should live our lives like we belong to Jesus and like he is our Lord, no matter what's going on around us. <clears throat> and I, Like I said, I know this is a hard message, but I want your relationship with God to be real. Because like I keep saying, Jesus is coming back and a fake relationship with him is not going to do you any good when he gets here. I love all of you and I want you to have confidence when Jesus returns that you do in fact belong to him and not live in fear of who you really are on the inside. That's a miserable place to be. I was there. I knew what I was on the inside. I knew I hadn't surrendered anything to Jesus. I just wanted people to think I did. But I don't want you to be that way. I don't want you to live in fear on the inside. I want you to get it made right with him so you can live confidently, knowing I belong to Jesus Christ, the ruler of everything. And when he gets here, he's going to give me everything he promised me. So if you've never nailed that down and made that sure in your heart, stop living in fear and doubt. It's easy. We, we give you that opportunity every week. Make today the day you say, God, forgive me for faking it and trying to convince others that I've given you my heart when I never did. Today I'm asking you to forgive me and become my Lord. That's not an easy prayer to pray. It wasn't easy for me to pray eight years ago, but I did. And that was the best thing I ever did in my life because I'll wake up confident every morning. I know without a doubt I belong to Jesus Christ. There's not a doubt in my mind. And that's, that's a good, you'll only get the peace of God that it talks about all through the Bible until you get that just nailed down and secured in your heart. Then all that fear goes away. Even on the days you mess up, you still don't feel like you're not a child of God because he says the godly stumbles and falls seven times, but he gets back up. Being a follower of Christ don't mean you're perfect. You're going to mess up probably daily. But you belong to him once you surrendered your life to Christ. And that's where the peace comes from. You know, when he gets back, it's over, and you're on the winning side. So if that's where you are, just say that prayer, and God will meet you right there. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Josh preached that sermon. He did a whole message on now. You know, today is the day. Quit putting it off. You know, today is the day for salvation. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, today's the day to say, I'm sorry if you've hurt somebody and you can't bring yourself to admit I was wrong. You know, once you get used to saying that, I was wrong, it's not hard to say. It's the first time that's the hardest. Or maybe today's the day for you to say, I forgive you. Maybe somebody hurt you in the past and you've just been hanging on to that and hanging on to that. That's not hurting them a bit, but it's poisoning your soul and it's poisoning your relationship with Jesus 
and everybody else around you. Maybe today's the day you let that go and say, I forgive you. Or maybe it's the day you say, will you forgive me? You know, it's one thing to say, I'm sorry. It's another thing to go to somebody and say, will you forgive me? I did this. I know it was wrong. I'm sorry. And then ask them to forgive you. But, uh, you know, if you're like I was years ago, today needs to be, be the day that you tell God, I'm tired of faking it and going through the motions, and I know my heart's not right with you. Please forgive me for that and come into my life today and be my Lord. You know, you don't have to be in a church to do that. If you're watching online, right there where you are, just cry out to God, and he'll meet you right there. Just tell him, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And uh, he will. And you can start a brand new life right there. And like I said, if you've, if you've got that fear and all that inside of you because you know you've never done that, there is some relief from that. But the peace only comes when it's real and you know that you've truly given your, your heart and your life to Christ. And if you've never done that, I hope today you really do. And you will get that peace that you wonder about, you see other people have, and you're like, how do they get that? I go to church every week, and I don't have that peace. It don't come from going to church. It comes from being transparent and honest with God and actually letting Him become your Lord. Uh, I never want to end the service without giving you an opportunity to do that. The Bible says in Romans 10, in verses 9 and 10, it says, if you will confess with your mouth, there's that confession with your mouth we were talking about earlier, but you got to really mean it and give God your heart. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart, really believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. <clears throat> so if you've made that choice today and you're really giving your life to Jesus, tell somebody about it. Like it says, with your mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Just tell somebody, today I really gave my life to Jesus, and I'm going to start living for him. And the Bible says once you've done that, then you are truly saved. And, uh, you know, as long as you got that stuff in your heart like I did, uh, we are enemies of God, like we just read in Romans 5.10 a while ago. But when you put your faith in Christ and you really surrender your heart to him, then you're no longer an enemy of God. You're a son or a daughter of God. Uh, Romans 5.8, we just read a minute ago, says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Don't let people tell you you got to get it all together first. got to stop this first. got to do this first. There is no first. The first step is coming to God and saying, forgive me and become my Lord. That's the first step. And then everything else he will help you with. And uh, don't let anybody tell you that you're too bad, you're a hopeless case. Because Romans 10 and 13 says, whosoever, that's unconditional. It don't matter what you've done. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He don't turn anybody away. No matter what you've done, no matter what anybody else says about you, God will save you right where you're at. But you got to give him your heart. you got to mean it. And he has to be Lord at home. He has to be Lord of your thought life, Lord of your, at your job, everywhere you go. You can't just change your behaviors and start going to church. 
that don't help anything. You can learn while you're at church. Those are good behaviors. Classes and studies and coming to church, fellowship with other believers, those are really good things, and you have to have those things. But that don't save you. Giving your heart to Jesus saves you. That's where it all starts. And then you can mature in your faith from there. But that's my message for tonight. And uh, thank you all for coming out. And thank you again for watching online if you're watching. Uh, I'm looking forward to next week's message. God's already given it to me. But I'll be working on it all week this week. And I hope to see you all again next week. Thank you all for listening. And uh, again, thank you for watching if you're tuning in online. Let me pray for us and we will be dismissed. Father, thank you for this message. Lord, I just pray for everybody that's here, for everybody that's watching online, or everybody that'll watch it uh, later on, God. I just pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts, Father, and help us to really take seriously our relationship with you. And uh, Lord, I pray that that would be our number one priority, is our relationship with you. And I know once that is healthy, once that's in place, then all of our other relationships, Lord, will thrive because of that. And we'll have that peace of mind that your word talks about. We won't be fearful of so many things. We won't be fearful of death or, or anything like that because we know that the God of all creation, I belong to you. And nothing can, nothing can hit me that you won't allow. God, I pray for all those that are at home sick right now. I pray that you'd be with them and comfort them. I pray that you'd help them to heal, Lord, so that they can get back in here and, and fellowship with us. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for loving us first. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.